Ben, have you ever had a jar of olives for dinner? Uh, not recently. Oh, I have, and I do it again. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to Ingredipedia. This is a food fight podcast where we fight with facts, not with food. I'm Ben Birchall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Emily Naismith. Hi, Em. Hello, Ben. Today we're talking about olives. Feels like a little, a little classy. Mm, yeah. It's a bit, bit of a adjustment from meat pies, but yeah, let's go there. Okay, let's do it. Ben, have you ever been to Spain? I have not. Okay. I had to think about that for a minute. No, I haven't. <laughs> um, I have. I've been to San Sebastian um, and most of my good food memories are anchovy related. Mm. On my 29th birthday, I went to this anchovy bar called Chepecha. I think it's called that. There's lots of T's and X's. Mm. It's like Basque language, very hard to pronounce. But this bar changed my life. It's where I was introduced to white anchovies, mm. my true love. And also gilders. And gilders is what I want to talk about today. Okay. Do you know what a gilder is? Uh, I, th- I thought it was some sort of currency from <laughs> Scandinavia. They're a type of little pinch or spa snack on a toothpick. Okay. There's usually anchovies, um, a pickled pepper called gindia, and green olives. You're meant to slide everything off the toothpick at once in your mm. mouth, and it's truly heavenly. Okay. Salty and vinegary and fatty and spicy and has that umaminess. So when you're in Basque country and there's pinchos bars everywhere and you just pick up whatever food you want from the counter and then you pay for it and it's just like you can fill your plate with anchovies and it's fine. Um but, yeah, I want to talk about Gilders. They were the first ever Basque pinchos. So there's a lot of history in this delicious morsel mm-hmm. and you'll find it in basically every bar in the region. So brief history was in the 1940s in San Sebastian, wine was served with plates of olives, pickled peppers and salted anchovies. But then a regular customer called Joaquin Amburu, also known as Chepecha, combined all three together in a toothpick and they became super popular. And he named them Gilda from the film, which was big at the time, called that, starring Rita Hayworth, where the character Gilda, who is a sex symbol, has the same attributes as this little Uh, snack. So she's like salty, green and spicy, Mm. apparently. So, yes, they're delicious. So I want to make one, but I also want to take them to the next level by <laughs> doubling doubling the anchoviness. Oh, I thought you were going to say like putting a chisel in it or something. <laughs> That's a good idea. I was trying to think of what I could do, but no, double anchovies. So I've got white anchovies and regular salted anchovies, okay. a little green olive and a pickled pepper. Did I think of this idea myself? Yes. But is it already something that someone else has invented? Of course. Of course. <laughs> in Spain, it's called matrimonio which translates to a marriage. So I'm not sure why, but like maybe there's like two types of anchovies combining, mm-hmm. delicious salty the, the mouth wetting. Families. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway, let's eat them. Mm. Amazing. So good. <laughs> it's like the, the best combination of foods in the world. Yeah, that's... um. Absolute flavor, umami bomb, spice, a fair bit of spice actually. Yeah, the pe- the peppers are pretty hot. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, f- I feel like I want that with like a chilled red. Yeah. Or like 
I could go a beer with it. Yeah, maybe a beer. Mm. Maybe both. They're pretty easy to make at home. Everybody should try and do it. Yeah. So good. And you, you've been talking about Spain, um, but olives are, are really international food. Yeah. So, like Mediterranean vibes. Yeah, like really present in Italian food and yep. Greek food, Spanish food, but also Middle East. I mean, from originally from the Middle East. So given that they are so international, who do you think per capita eats the most olives or what's known as table olives mm. in, the, uh, in the olive biz in the entire world? And where does Australia figure, do you think? God, I'm always so bad at these because I basically don't even know any countries. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Italy is the highest. I would have said that and I would have said I would have said like Italy or Spain or Greece. Yeah. Turns out that the Middle East and also um, parts of Europe are like absolutely lead the way. So and we're talking like by a long way. So I'm going to go up the up the sort of top 5 list. So we've got Turkey and Egypt. The people of Turkey and Egypt per capita per head eat 4.1 kilos of olives every year. Wow. Which is quite a bit. Uh, next Algeria 7.2 kilos of olives. And then we take a big leap. In Syria, 10.1 kilos of olives. Wow. Per person. But the winner is Albania. Wow. 10.8 kilos per capita per person. So that means some people are eating like 20. Well, yeah. For that to be like the yeah, mean. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, and they're be... my heroes. <laughs> <laughs> so how are the Albanians consuming their olives? Well, according to realfoodtraveler.com, uh, perhaps Albania's greatest expression for their love of olives is salati uluri or olive salad. Uh, it's really just several types of olives topped with a few condiments. Uh, but in your mouth, it's so much more a synergy of deliciously contrasting flavors, each bite a mix of sweet, sour and salty. It's versatile too, enjoyed as a snack with a glass of wine or a wonderful compliment to grilled meat. So the, the Albanians know what they're doing with their olives. Yeah. They grow them a lot as well. They've got like a big olive industry. Um, and to answer the, the question I posed at the start, how does Australia go? So Albania, I would say we're pretty low down the list because people low. are basic in Australia. Yeah, 0.9 kilos. Oh, not even one. Not even Don't one. Don't even crack the kilo. So Albania's nearly 11. We're not even one, but we're doing better than our friends yeah. in the United States who are 0. 0.6 of a kilo. Oh, let's try and do our best personally to bring up our ratio to at least one. Do better Australia. Yeah. All right. So my closest supermarket is a Persian supermarket mm. and I always go there to try and get stuff for the podcast because it's like the easiest one to get to and I can't be bothered going to the big supermarkets. Um, but the Persian supermarket never, ever, ever has what I need, which is usually like CCs or Viennetta or something, <laughs> until this week, the ah. olive episode, it delivered. So I've been eyeing off this bag of olives there for ages, but I've never bought them. Bag of olives. Mm. Very, very different. But let me explain. Um, they're quite perplexing. So they're in a plastic bag in the fridge with no liquid around them. And the packaging says dried olives, hmm. but they're not in the olive section. And they're near all the dried fruit, like sultanas and ah, raisins and figs yeah. and stuff. So I decided to buy them for the olive episode. And I asked the guy who works there how you use them. And he says, you just eat them. But then he dropped a bomb on me. Oh. He said, they're not actually olives. Despite the label saying dried olives, he said they're a different thing entirely called senjed in Persian. And he said he doesn't know what it translates to in English. So... That excited me. 
and yep. I did a little bit of research. So what is Senjed? So there's a Persian holiday called Nowruz that marks the start of spring in Afghanistan and a lot of the celebration focuses on food and according to an NPR article, the star of the Nowruz table is Aftmewa, a sweet and savoury compote, also known as seven fruits. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's translated as seven fruits in Persian. Getting visions of seven fishes in the bear. <laughs> yeah. A bit different to that. Less hectic family drama. Um, so, yes, combination of seven fruits and nuts. And you can put different ingredients in there, but basically stuff like pistachios, almonds, walnuts, cashews, cherries, raisins, currants, apricots, apples, or senjed, mm. which is a small, sweet, and tangy berry shaped like an olive. Ah. Yeah, and then all these ingredients are washed and soaked in water. And then scented with like rose or cardamom. And it sounds delicious. I didn't make it because buying all those nuts and fruit would like <laughs> literally bankrupt me. Cost of living crisis. Um, but yes, it seems like Senjed is called an olive in English because it looks like one. But it's actually like from a completely different botanical family. Seems more like a berry. No idea what's going on. Haven't tried them. <laughs> I'm so interested to see if they try, if they taste more like a berry or more like an olive. All right, let's give them a go. Well, they do look like olives. They look exactly like olives. And look, dried olive. Dried olive. And then it does say Senjed above it. Oh, as well. he wrote that. Oh, right. That's nice. Mm. That's really interesting. Mm. It's quite sweet. But it's almost got... When you get under the skin, the texture is like fairy floss. It's so powdery. Yeah, and yeah, it tastes sweet and mm. tangy, like a berry. But yeah, it's like pork floss, mm. but like inside an olive. Fruity pork floss inside, <laughs> dressed as an olive. Mm. I can see how they would. You would need to soak them. Yep. Yeah, it's quite dry. Yeah. Like a furry, coats your teeth. Yeah. But the flavor is great. Mm. Definitely the sweetest olive <laughs> I've ever had. Well, whatever you are, Senjed. You're delicious. Uh, I'm just gonna gonna let the listeners behind the curtain a little. We're, we're recording this on a weekend morning, on when we normally record. No. So I hope you'll forgive me. I haven't prepared the beverage for pre lunchtime on a Sunday morning because so I want to talk about martinis. Okay, yeah. And I haven't I haven't made your martini this time. That's We've okay. talked about martinis a bit. Uh, we added MSG to a martini. Yeah, I remember that. That yep. was disgusting. I think it was the cooking wine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah, yep. That was disgusting. Yeah, and I really don't like martinis, so I'm like, I'm not yeah, fussy to make them. Yeah. Well, I also talked about the, the Gibson, yeah. which is a kind of martini with a pickled onion for the onion episode. Yeah. But we haven't actually explored the just the regular garden variety martini mm. and why... It has olives in it. Who put them there in the first place? And also, how does superstition dictate the number of, of olives you get? Mm -hmm. So this is from an, uh, an article on a website called Vine Pear. And as the story goes, New York bartender John O'Connor was the, the guy who added the olives. He was playing around with ingredients for a dry martini one night in 1901. Searching through items around the bar, he added an, an olive and brine to the drink, creating what we now know as a dirty martini. So that was 1901. During Prohibition, 
which is when alcohol was made illegal in the United States in the uh, 1920s, gin gained popularity as the easiest spirit to produce. Uh, so you could make your own gin in the bath. Yeah, okay. Um, so Americans began experimenting at home, making simple cocktails like the martini with higher amounts of gin, um, as that's what was available at the time. By the time Prohibition was repealed in 1933, the gin in an average martini heavily outratioed the vermouth, just because it was easy to make it in your bathtub. And what the drink needed was a simple garnish that could soak up the spirit and add a little bit of that saltiness. So, so invented in 19, 1901, gained popularity as, as martinis got more gin heavy. Um, and then ironically, it's Franklin Roosevelt, the president who ended Prohibition, who is credited with making the martini or the dirty martini a worldwide smash by introducing his version to world leaders like Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin, who I guess were the influences of the 1930s. Um, so that's why the olives made it into the martini. Um, but did you know that you're always meant to have three olives in a martini? No, you kind of only see one. Oh, I thought that too. Um, but yeah, Stingy. a lot of these articles are sort of saying, you know, you get a, a skewer with three yeah, martinis. Yeah, definitely need uh, three. You get a skewer with three olives. Um, and the reason for the three, and this is from the same article, an unspoken superstition deems an uneven number of olives bad luck. Like avoiding a black cat in an alleyway, most seasoned bartenders will only serve martinis with one or three olives. There you go. Sometimes it's one, but never two or four. The origins of this superstition remain a mystery, but are adamantly followed. Uh, This is a quote from Brad Gadbury in the famed Martini FAQ. He says, high tradition dictates that you must use an odd number of olives. One olive is fine. So are three. Five is excessive. (laughs) Using two or four is a faux pas. Five is just right. (laughs) Um, Some point to an Italian superstition which considers anything served in even numbers, bad hospitality and unlucky. So coffee beans in Sambuca and espresso martinis are always served in threes. So perhaps Mm. the martini follows suit with olives. I I think that, but not from superstition's perspective. It's just like looks better when something has an odd number on the plate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, whether it's bad luck or not, uh, uh, I don't have one for you here, mm. but uh, maybe that's for the best. Eleven dollars. <laughs> Done. Ben, I've recently come into my athlete era, as you know, been getting into running, you know, I'm on Strava, I'm adding protein powder to my smoothies, all the things Whoa. elite athletes do. Um, so based on my food knowledge gleaned from Ingridopedia, Elite athletes also drink pickle juice. Yes. We discussed that, I think, in our first episode. The very first episode. Mm. And you know what? Like it was a bit of a uh, was, was a bit of a goofy thing to talk yeah. about. That I see it so often like <laughs> on watching football. I was watching the AFLW the other day yeah. and the women were just like smashing pickle juice. Amazing. It's a thing. Yeah, because of the electrolytes. Um, so eight or so years later. God, is it that long? Jesus. <laughs> there's a new juice on the scene, of course, being the olive episode. It's olive juice. Olive brine, the liquid in the jar surrounding the olives. Not going to lie, even before my athlete era, I've been drinking this straight out of the jar. Really? <laughs> it's so delicious. Smash the brine. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the best food suspension liquid aside from mozzarella water, which is <laughs> the greatest of all time. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's good for you, apparently. According to cookgem.com, which is where I get all my medical facts, <laughs> they say... Olive juice is a hydrating liquid containing healthy monounsaturated fats, beneficial for overall health, rich in electrolytes and probiotic bacteria. And it makes a good after sport drink because it replenishes the electrolytes lost in sweating 
And they also say beware of pickle juice containing industrial vinegar, ah. which is not so healthy. So shots fired in the fridge door. Ooh. Olive Bryant <laughs> is taking you on pickle juice. They say that if you have muscle cramps, expect fast relief by drinking a quarter of a cup of olive juice. So I conducted a study, very small sample size of one, very loose controls. <laughs> but when I had leg cramps after running, I drank olive juice. And what did I find? Well, you still had leg cramps. I forgot to pay any attention to this <laughs> and my leg cramps went away. So I can't confirm or deny that it was the <laughs> olive juice. Um, no real difference to not drinking this, but I mean, one method involves drinking olive brine. So, I mean, I guess I'll stick with that one. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Emily, the athlete. Um, you like emojis. I mean, I did about 10 years ago, yeah, but yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I remember about you. <laughs> Emily, she likes emojis. <laughs> yes, um, I had a website called Emoji Food Review. Um, yes, I don't currently align my personal brand with emojis, but go on. Okay. Um, can you recall without prompting the olive emoji? Of course. It's a green olive. With? A single olive. I think it actually has red Pimento inside. That is true. It is a green olive stuffed with a red pimento pepper, the classic depiction of the olive, according to the emoji, which is, you know, the boiled down essence of objects. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's scientifically proven. So how did the green olive stuffed with the red pimento pepper become that classic de depiction of the olive? Whose idea was it to stuff salty olives with sweet little bits of pepper, which is actually a pretty good idea. Yeah. I prefer an anchovy stuffed olive, but yes, go on. But we're talking about the... The prototype, yes, the okay. archetype, yes. sorry, of, yes, yes, yes. of, of the olive. Um, the internet is actually, unsurprisingly, a little hazy on the specifics, but basically it was the French. Um, this is from a website called The Daily Meal. Surprisingly, rumour has it that the first pimento-stuffed olives actually originated in France, Provence specifically, about 300 years ago. Despite that, neither the green olive nor the pimento is native to the country. Pimentos are from mm. Spain and olives are from the Middle East, specifically Iran and the surrounding area. So how do the pimentos get in there? That's another question mm. that mental floss has solved for me. Until the early 1960s, pimentos were sliced and then stuffed into olives by hand. The Sadrim Company of Seville, Spain, so the, the Spaniards come back into it here, introduced the first automatic olive stuffing machine in 1962 and is the largest manufacturer of such equipment today. In fact, most pimento pushing machines, <laughs> which I like the name of that, uh, are still made in Spain, despite the fact that the favorite olive insert in that country is the anchovy. Mm. Um, and that actually got me thinking about like, what is like what is a pimento? It's, it's like a little- Seriously, what is it? It's I like actually, a little sweet red pepper. I didn't know what it was, and I still don't really know what it is. And I know I was supposed to use pimento stuffed olives when I made that tuna jelly thing, mm. but I used anchovy stuffed olives. Well, you'll, you'll be unsurprised to know that, yes, I mean, it's a, it's a little sweet red pepper. Um, it's quite round. Sometimes it's known as the cherry pepper. So it kind of looks almost like a cherry. Um, but the, the way that the pimentos get in olives in an industrial way these days, it's not so much just like a nice little Spanish person putting some pimento in there. Most modern machines use a mixture of mashed pimentos combined with mixture mm. containing a binding agent like gelatin or guar gum that is formed into large sheets and then sliced into strips oh. and fed into the stuffer on large rolls. The stuffing machine, which must be very precisely calibrated, first cuts a plug the size of a pit in one end of the olive and pushes the pit out using an X-shaped punch on the opposite end of the fruit. You'll see that on a lot of the olives there. You get that little X on one, one end. 
Then the pitted, pitted olive moves to the next station where a strip of pimento is cut and injected into the cavity. There are higher end brands that still hand stuff the sliced pimentos and actual real pimentos directly into the olives. But if you're buying it in a jar at the supermarket, it's probably a mm. mix of pimento and some sort of horse hoof. Yum. Well, I'm going to stick with anchovy stuffed olives. Thank you, Dan. Okay, fair. So that was our salty little olive episode. You can vote for whose facts you found the most interesting on our Instagram, which is Ingredipedia. See you next time. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Wadawurrung people, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present.